Hello and welcome back to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. I'm Neil. Today is Sunday, 24th of February. It's been exactly one month to the day that President Trump declared the... Uh, what was he? What was his official role? Oh, the head of the National Assembly in Venezuela to be the legitimate president three, of... How long ago? Three months, we said? One month. One month. On 24th of January, Trump declared a coup d'etat of sorts via Twitter, setting a series, uh, setting in motion a whole series of things that kind of uh, culminated, I suppose, in yesterday, February 23rd, the launch, I suppose, of an operation to retake Venezuela, in quotes. Um, it's so transparent to us what's going on. We assume also to most of our listeners and our viewers, um, it's only just kicked off. Where will it go? How bad will it be? We'll, we'll try to get a gauge on that. It struck us really that after a month of trying to make it real via declarations, press statements, um, entreaties to Venezuelan military people to defect, I believe they managed to enlist about 60 people. Yeah, it included a couple of top generals and foreign uh, attaches in, in, in Washington and whatnot, but I think that some total is 60 Venezuelans mm -hmm. defected from the government to Washington. That's not going to work on the face of it. And yet they went ahead yesterday with a kind of, well, the Venezuelan government's description, the legitimate one, Maduro's, is that it's a Trojan horse operation, and it's hard not to disagree with that. Um, as far as I know, only so far, two people have been killed and about 20 injured. Well, four killed. Four dead now. Yeah. Um, there were, apart from the this uh, stage-managed uh, scene, effectively, at the, at, the, at the Colombian Venezuelan border, uh, there's a bridge there, and um, it had been blocked off. It had been blocked off for quite a while um, anyway, and they just added some reinforcements to it. Um, that there, I think... Two, one, I think one maybe um, humanitarian truck, a, a truck carrying humanitarian aid supposedly uh, was set on fire. And I mean, the Guardian, uh, and I was just checked the Guardian's report on this, and they tried to claim, I don't know who put this out, but someone claimed, and the Guardian repeated it, as did all the Western news outlets, that uh, the truck was set on fire by tear gas canisters fired by the police. Uh, Venezuelan police from across the border. Yeah, well, on the on the bridge or whatever. But mm -hmm. um, last I heard, tear gas canisters generally wouldn't set fire to, you know, a truck. Um, you know, they don't burn, right? Per se, and um, you notice. I mean, we we know this because looking at the French yellow vest protests uh, that have been going on for fifteen weeks now. Uh, there's right. A, there's you know, uh. uh a large quantity of uh, tear gas canisters have been fired there and what you see in all of the videos of this are the people picking them up uh, and throwing them back. Right. So these aren't things that, these aren't incendiary devices. So for the Guardian to say that, uh, that it would, just to try and pin the blame of the Venezuelan government effectively, that they're the ones who burned, because that, that was the whole point of this, th this operation. It was almost yeah. like the US has got so bad at staging coups, or they've done it so many times, uh, in front of the cameras that um, you can now predict what's going to happen. Right. And their goal, obviously, was 
um, to the optics, as they might say, on, on this was that you had to have humanitarian aid coming from the U.S., let's say, or, or from U.S.-sponsored groups trying to get into Venezuela in the form of uh, two or three trucks, and those trucks had to be set on fire or had to be in somewhere other destroyed. Uh, therefore, there's a very high chance that these were set on fire by uh, the U.S. slash this, uh, I suppose, new leader Guaido's uh, stooges, basically, henchmen, right. who just set it on fire, you know? Yeah, um, it's, it's key for the optics. You've got right. the, the, the convoy <clears throat> represent peace <clears throat> and help <clears throat> and generosity, and then there needs to be violence in juxtaposition to right. it to show, well, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. Yeah. See? So there was that at the Colombian-Venezuelan uh, border, and then on down in the southeast on the on the Brazilian border, there were clashes there in a town where another um, kind of aid convoy, small one again, that came from came from Brazil, um, again organized. Not this is just because it comes from Brazil doesn't mean it's uh, come from the Brazilian government. It's organized by this Guaido guy and his backers in the U.S. Uh, and it got into Venezuela, but then there were clashes between kind of pro and anti-Maduro uh, downstairs, and there was some gunfire and stuff, and uh, four people there were, were killed, were right. shot. So that was, I mean, it hasn't really had the effect that they they hoped, I think, because, I mean, certainly it's been reported in the media, but the media just is just reporting it as here's what happened type thing. You don't, you're not really getting the flavor of a kind of Ukrainian Maidan situation, you know what I mean? Um even the fact that four people were killed um, by effectively unknown shooters or snipers uh, shooting at people from from both sides. They don't even know exactly who the people are who were killed and a few dozen injured. Um, it hasn't really it hasn't really done done, done what they, I think what they were expecting. Unless this is just the first salvo and there's more to come type sure. thing, but they need to go. Go massive on this one. They need to go a lot bigger on this to uh, to really achieve what they hope to achieve. And the problem is, I think <clears throat> that the reality all along that you, that has been denied to Western audiences via Western media reporting on Venezuela is that there simply is not the support for this guy Guaido in, in Venezuela. The vast majority of the Venezuelan people uh, support Maduro. Yeah. Um, he won an election last year with 67% of yeah. the vote and something like 19 million people voted. Um, so there's just, I mean, unlike other situations where either A, the the, po the population had had been worked up and, and was against the government and could be relied on to get out in the streets in mass in, in numbers like in, in Ukraine, particularly in a big city like Kiev, uh, or where the U.S. has direct access to the country and has agents within the country in, in large number and even has maybe you know military resources within the country and that kind of stuff so neither of those things apply in, in venezuela so it's extremely difficult and it's funny to see it just kind of fizzling out like a like a damp squib because of that and the only reason it doesn't fizzle out is because in other situations is because they have access you know what i mean so it's it's the extent to which the u.s can create yeah. the reality for the media and you know on the ground and create the, create the appearance at least or or even create a kind of a coup in a certain sense of course even in ukraine uh it wasn't 
as uh, oh, the 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 support for a coup was in no way as overwhelming among the political or yes the ordinary people, the political class or the ordinary people, but they could get it. it was, there was enough there to massage it and to to you know make it kind of. I think, kind of grow, if you know what I mean, and to, to, to snowball and become something more than it actually was. But in Venezuela, they have very, very little. I think what you're getting at is, in Ukraine, there was a consistent pattern of discontentment with the status quo. Right, with the establishment in general, yes. not any one particular party. but So both. there was a cleavage there that was successfully enough, let's say, to make it a coup de facto, because, right. of course, the leader fled, and new elections. So de facto, it was a success, mm -hmm. in quotes. Ukraine has since gone down the tubes, but whatever. It's, we'll, we'll knock that up as a success for them. Mm -hmm. And the similar issue here is that this is where they have some reality on their side. You said that in the election last year, he was, contrary to the blatant lie, he was actually democratically, legitimately, 100%, ticks all the boxes. He was elected president mm -hmm. of Maduro. But there is, again, a cleavage. There have been large protests expressing discontent, mm -hmm. but that has never, in all the opportunities Venezuelans get, local elections, national elections, presidential elections, mm -hmm. and referenda, that has never once translated into widespread popular support for opposition mm -hmm. parties, figures, etc., etc., there have there has though been this basic cleavage of discontentment, and I think that's what excited the regime changers in Washington and elsewhere mm. to, to go for it now, go for it now, yeah. because but, it had been several, it had been roughly five or six years in the making since the oil price collapsed, since mm. inflation kicked in, the mm. different reasons for that, but. Primarily, I think we have to go with it being foreign currency manipulation right. from banking cartels, um, which doesn't absolve Venezuelan leadership of 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 culpability and responsibility for at least how they how they how they handled it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the very Johnny come lately with um, introducing alternative payment systems mm -hmm. for purchasing products. This is a mm. And this is one of this is another one of the cleavages. It, it was mm. probably massively overinflated outside of Venezuela. Nevertheless, mm. it had some reality on the ground. Uh, the availability of goods, the availability of goods on the one hand, and the av availability to pay for them, both had some basis in reality. Mm. But in fact, there was a, there are there is still to this day plenty of there is not an actual starvation crisis issue. Mm. There are plenty of resources, but there's a problem with resource allocation. Mm -hmm. That, that's probably down to hoarding on the one hand. On the other hand, it's down to how to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it is a true that there's a serious crisis with the currency. Yeah. In the recent months and years, a bit late, they've introduced alternative means of payment mm -hmm. within Venezuela, um, heavily subsidized goods, etc. So, so there is no actual starvation. It's a lie that they're all starving, therefore mm -hmm. they need our help. Mm -hmm. But there is some cleavage on the ground. And they're hoping, I think, if we just do enough it, it'll mm. bite no but well, it's not but what it'll bite like what the whole the, the, the majority a significant majority of the venezuelan people of venezuela venezuelan adults the voting population are going to suddenly decide that they don't uh, no longer support the the bolivarian um, kind of revolution and the the the, the 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 process that has been ongoing for uh, almost 20 years now, uh, of direct democracy mm. that was initiated by Chavez uh, that was designed originally, and here's what you have to understand in, in the past. I mean, um, before Chavez came to power, what, what allowed Chavez 
to come to power was was <clears throat> much worse mismanagement of the of the finance financial mismanagement of the country um, that caused uh, provoked riots in uh, in 1989 in a place that became known as Caracasau uh, Carac. Caracazo, sorry, Caracazo, uh, riots in a town called Caracazo, and up to you know several thousand people were killed uh, in in those at that time with the former kind of um, pre- president and f- former government uh, that sent the troops onto the street to put down a riot because of uh, an economic crisis effectively that was centered around <clears throat> the Venezuelan government at the time taking an IMF loan. You know, it centered around a uh, fall in oil prices and an increase in the price of oil in Venezuela and an increase, increase in transport costs that caused uh, major riots in, in, in 1989 in, in Venezuela that led to the deaths of up to several thousand people by, you know, by the state and by, you know, exchange of fire, effectively. None of that has happened in Venezuela under Chavez, you right. know. Um, or Maduro. Uh, or Maduro. And um, the thing about the, those, uh, the thing the thing that led to those riots was, and the thing that people don't understand, is that the, the kind of demographics of Venezuela is, has been for a long time, for a lot of the 20th century, uh, a situation where you have a very large percentage of the population who are kind of like an underclass? They're mestizos. They're they're mixed. They're of African origin, effectively, or if they're indi- or they're indigenous South Americans. And there's a lot of racism, and hasn't been a lot of racism uh, towards them by the by the upper classes, basically the the, the more wealthy class. And they're a large, a very large underclass. And they were basically just uh, for most of the 20th century were just um, kind of left to just do their thing, to be in poverty and stay in poverty. There was no reallocation of resources, whatever, to try and bring them out of poverty. These are talking about billions and millions of people who could not read or write, um, and, and, the, and the state throughout the 20th century uh, did not bother at all to try and alleviate their, 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 the poverty, the real poverty they were living in, and even to you know give them proper education. Um, so it was those people who, whenever there's an economic crisis, those people who, who already have very, very little um, who are going to be at the forefront of protests, and that's what happened in 1989, and it ultimately led to a coup or a couple of attempted coups that involved Chavez, and then eventually him being elected uh, president, and his then understanding or his process, his long-term process that has extended to today with Maduro, to essentially lift these people, this massive underclass, out of poverty, and he's and under Chavez a lot of that that was that. Uh, was very successful. It was he yeah. was successful in doing that. I mean, uh, basically, there's a hundred percent literacy now. Uh, millions and millions of people were taught to read and write, and this is in the last since the year two thousand, basically. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, it's people forget about that and forget that that's actually that's obviously a positive thing, and it's there, there's no way anybody in their right mind, uh, except for people in Washington, uh, who could who would claim that that's a bad thing or, or that's not responsible uh, actions of, of government. But that's overlooked. None of that backstory is told uh, as to why, the, what the Bolivarian, what Chavez's revolution is, and what Maduro was conti- attempting to continue to do. It's, it's, I mean, they may have gone a little bit far with their direct democracy, and although throughout Chavez's era there were referendums, multiple, multiple referendums happened where where the vote was given on government policy. So government policies, government uh, government decision to do A, B, or C was given to the people to vote on, and they all voted on it. So they implemented, like under Chavez, they implemented direct democracy in a very 
fairly, in a fairly radical way. Totally. Chavez said, and, I, I want to... Uh, the reason I'm tinkering over and over with how we run things mm. is that I want government to be the fullest possible expression mm. of the popular will. Right. I mean, there's you, know, you can argue for and against that. We've talked about populism on other shows in the past and whether or not you know it's workable, whether it's a good idea or not. But certainly... I think there's a middle ground there where you would at least, you know, at least not treat the people like, like you, treat them as though you think they're idiots, basically, and dismiss them. You know what I mean? You give them some voice, but I don't think most people actually really want to have that kind of, in most countries, necessarily want to have, want to be consulted every time a gov the government wants to pass a piece of a policy, you know, or, or implement a new law. I don't think most people are interested in that. They want to get on with their normal lives. That's why we you elect government officials, right, to do that kind of stuff. But so there's a happy medium can be had there where you're not treating them like complete idiots and like you think they're a bunch of, you know, they're, they're a rabble, basically. But so you, you do listen to what they want. You know, so it's hard to strike that, that balance, but it, it can be done. But the problem today is that obviously in Western countries, the governments are doing exactly the opposite. Where, like, I mean, look at France today, where uh, the the Macron government uh, is using all sorts of uh, tactics and slanders and slurs against the protesters in France, ordinary people, and and they're talking about direct referendums and and direct democracy in France now because of that. So you don't want to go too far in that opposite direction, but you need a responsible government to listen to what the people say, implement some things, you know, do the do what they're meant to do, which is after being elected by the people to implement policies that they know the people actually want, that they know that are going to be good for the for the people and people are, are going to be happy with. At least they're not going to complain about them. Right. But that's not what they're doing. So then you have this swing <coughs> towards we demand <coughs> a government of the people, basically, not not uh, not a government for the people, but a government essentially of the people, uh, which, you know, that's, there's, that's fraught with difficulty. And like I said, it's not really in the interest of most ordinary people to... Or, or most ordinary people aren't interested in actually, you know, being politicians, right? They don't want to uh, have to spend that amount of time and effort to actually, you know, uh, pour through government uh, uh, legislation and decide whether or not it's it's right or wrong. You know. So, well, I hear you in theory, but in practice, in Venezuela, most people participated. Right. If 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 that, it depends if, on the if, if, you, if you take that as your benchmark, what mm. was the voter turnout mm. for referenda or elections? Then it was consistently eighty plus percent, right the way through into Maduro's first election the year after Chavez died. Mm. Um, although that was an interesting result because Maduro won by a slim margin. Mm. But anyway, it carries on, and then a new tactic begins, mm. where the opposition calls for boycotting. Right. That first began in twenty fourteen, I believe, and mm. that's been the consistent practice since then. And that just speaks to, and that has roughly drawn, probably drawn out about 30% of those who had been voting, give or take, up to that point, then began to not participate. But right. you still had a majority. You mm. still had higher results, higher consistent participation than you would in the United States, for example, right. where only 50% of people who can vote in uh, elections at national level for the president, the mm. most important one, mm. the most in-your-face one, only half. Mm. bothered to vote for that. In Venezuela, despite the boycott, managing to draw out about a third of those who had been, mm. you're still getting 60 plus percent of people participating. Mm. So that, again, underscores how mm -hmm. how banal, mendacious, and factually incorrect the claim is that, well, hang on, people are boycotting because they're not interested right. or because they hate Maduro. Mm. It's wrong on both counts. Mm -hmm. There's still sufficiently... There, there's. There, there, there is still a majority in a country like Venezuela after 20 years that 
has interest but wants to be wants to be involved yeah um well, I think that's a legacy, and I think obviously what what you have to include here in the analysis of this is the history of the country and the type of country uh, that that you're talking about. You know, the type of you know it's 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 political and economic history, and obviously Venezuela's political and economic history is quite uh, is quite different from uh, certainly Western European most Western European countries over the past twenty or thirty years. You know. Um, so there's a motivation there. There's an interest. There's political. There's a political. There was a political awakening and a, and a and a motivation by ordinary people who were previously in poverty and illiterate, who now are not so mm-hmm. poor and can read and write. They've seen the direct the benefits of. They see that the that they accrued those benefits as a result of direct, direct democracy. Though therefore they're they're willing, are they're interested in keeping it going? They're, they think that. You know, it was the will of the people, and it was direct the institution of direct democracy to one extent or another that allowed these benefits to to come to us. Therefore, we need to keep this going. But you compare that to America or, or, or Western European countries, where most people, a lot of people, at least up until recently, were very self satisfied, had all everything they wanted, had you know, there was no sense of no real poverty, no need, or whatever. That's why you have so much apathy in America today, is because America lives high on the hog, and the vast majority of people in America are very well fed or overfed, uh, and therefore, well, when your when your belly's full, what interest, and you know it's going to be full tomorrow, what interest do I have in politics? Isn't it interesting though that at this time, maybe we'll still leave the United States out for to the side for a moment, but in Western Europe, that people are clamoring for greater participation. 15, 15 weeks now the French have been out there, tear-gassed and beaten, and everything that the Maduro government is accused of doing, the Macron's government is actually doing. And they're clamoring for greater participation. Um, and yes, it's a partly an economic issue, it's partly a cultural issue. They want serious fundamental change to the way things are done. They're being lied to day in, day out. I suppose what I'm getting at is Westerners have been conditioned thus far, and their default is meh, apathy but give them a chance or give them at this time when they can see more maybe they're in terms of a general awakening access to more information it's not like, they seem to be wanting to it's not about give them a chance more. it's hit them in their pocketbooks and that's when they become politically interested that's okay. when they want direct democracy and that's why that's what i was saying previously that people the, the vast majority of people in venezuela who are the bulk of the people who support um right who supported uh, Chavez and support and continue to support Maduro are people who are previously very poor yeah. and saw that direct democracy lifted them out of poverty and, and give them taught them to read and write and give them better jobs. Uh, so those people at the time were motivated uh, by their bellies effectively, right. by, by, by hunger. Uh, and that's to, increasingly to be, the case and that's in austerity. Case in austerity-ridden uh, Western Europe, yeah. Uh, and that'll continue to happen. You'll see more and more protests. People, I mean, it's an age-old... I mean, it's not like it's rocket science, yeah. right? When people are hungry and uh, and tired and feeling like uh, you know they're not they have food food there's food scarcity or food insecurity or or just their what they previously had they no longer have they're being you know they're being squeezed they're seeing their privileges reduced that's when they get political and by political I mean they just get in the street and start complaining about the government yeah you know of course there's all sorts of theories and ideas that they have and different I mean if you look at the yellow vests you know you could pick one uh, one person and he'd give you a long discourse on on the on the evils of capitalism and the virtues of socialism and 
you know, um, or not or, all of them are or, like that, or in the other direction. But then you could pick someone else, and they wouldn't have much of a word to say about that at all. They just say, "I don't like Macron." Yeah, he's, you know. Yeah, or I want I want my country back. Yeah, I just don't or, like the way I, he's. I don't taking... want, for example, this week in France, they've announced that they're going to introduce the European Union flag in every classroom in the country. Right. What a time to introduce that! I mean, the French are like, no, <laughs> but they're they're carrying on with an agenda. It has its own motion, you know. They're just. Right. Whatever, we'll carry on. Um, but that's that's the other aspect of. You're right. I, I think I think it will be the primary driver: food, uh, resources, um, and and also don't forget psychologically they've shown that um, a sense of fairness is important. Even if say the minimal wages slash government subsidies to the poorest in France was sufficient to make them not go hungry month after month. There's also an important aspect of if they continue to see the rich get richer and right. the inner city places doing great while they're meagerly getting by, right. that has a that's a big factor as well. Um, yeah, it's not just poverty, obviously, like I said, it's it's it, and the, at the worst uh, at the far end of the scale, it's actually po- uh, poverty or, or, or f- food insecurity. We are not sure if you're going to be able to eat the next day. That's pretty bad. But for for rich countries or formerly rich countries, that had a, a rich middle class, let's say. Right. Um, when those people start to question whether or not they can go on holiday for... Like they used to. Like they used to every year. Well, that's, you know, that's enough. That, that, that That's a big thing for people, you know, so it's their lifestyle. And they're being told, you got to take it. We've all got to take it. Right. They're hard times. All right. right, okay, we'll do it. And it's been, what, 11 years since the 2008 crash. Right. But in the meantime, the rich are just getting richer and they can right. see examples of it. Yeah, so... And it's maybe, you know, you could say it's over, oversimplified where people say, well, the rich people, the rich rich companies and, and billionaires and stuff aren't paying taxes, uh, whereas we are. Our taxes are increasing. So uh, that was a major thing for the Yellow Vest, the French protest, was that um, <clears throat> there were new taxes coming in. Right. Uh, to save the planet. On them. And at the same time, they were hearing about all these companies that were paying no taxes. And maybe uh, a bit oversimplified. To, you may think that that argument is oversimplified, but that's the argument. That's the way it looks to people, mm. you know? No one has ideologically taught them to think that way. Right. They're responding to what right. they're seeing. Just viscerally yeah. and, and, and on, on, the, on the basic details of the situation, you know? Mm. Uh, and it's like you said, it's a sense of un- injustice yeah. or unfairness. So it's quite sim- simplistic that the, motive, the motives that drive people to get out on the streets are often very simplistic. And you can blame people for being uh, oversimplifying the situation. But at the same time, <laughs> it's very real for them because the bottom line is, despite all your economic theories and uh, explanations, the bottom line is that <clears throat> if someone... <clears throat> And France can't uh, can't afford to go on holiday this year. Then it doesn't matter to him or her what uh, your economic theory behind that is. The bottom line is, I don't have enough money to go on holiday this year, and so I'm not happy. So I'm going to get out in the street and protest. Yeah. Um, but the the funny thing, the fun, talking back to Ven- going back to Venezuela, one thing that occurred to me was that's kind of funny in a certain sense is that <laughs> all of the you know. I mean, we've kind of <clears throat> swung back and forth on Trump over the past couple of years in terms of uh, whether or not he was a kind of positive force to some extent. <clears throat> um, depends what mood he's in. Depends what mood he's in. Depends what, what topic we're dealing with. Uh, we were generally kind of positive about his approach to, to Syria, um, uh, the, the tack he took on that. 
Um, you know those troops aren't going anywhere now. Well, there's f- only four or five hundred of them, like. But uh, uh, no, 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 no. Four or five hundred U.S. troops. Yeah. The remainder that were U.S. troops will be replaced by French and British troops. Well, yeah, whatever. It's over and there. Now. It's done there anyway. Um, but <clears throat> we uh, <clears throat> we would have complained to some extent about the the so-called deep state or the establishment in the U.S. kind of hamstringing Trump, you know attempting to stop him doing whatever he wanted to do. Uh, and we would have cited, uh, you know, the Russia investigation, Russia collusion, all that kind of nonsense <clears throat> as evidence of that. But um, it's 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 interesting that, you know, and part of that pushback against Trump was the, what, what were the, I suppose, the left or the liberals, you know, who all hate Trump, the never Trumpers, right? The resistance. Yeah. <clears throat> and we kind of would have been critical to some extent of them at certain points. But it's interesting that I think Trump in his swing towards uh, a coup in Venezuela is being hamstrung by the same forces. It's it's weird that the deep state, no doubt, is very happy and very, very much supportive of Trump's uh, coup uh, plans. That's probably their more, more than his. It's he's he's going along with it, but it's his and their uh, attempts to to initiate a coup in Venezuela. But it's coming back. The left, in this in this sense, is at least has the potential to do something good in their anti-Trump or never Trump uh, activism, because you think that right. This it's is one, well. This is. One area where they can get out in the streets, the left can get out in the streets and, and denounce him as an evil. All the all the things that they've said he is uh, from from since since he was inaugurated, you know that he's an evil uh, oligarch or an evil. I've seen photos. About several dozen were out on the streets in New York yesterday. Right, dozen, dozens. Yeah, <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, I mean that's but and that you'd think in a, in a, in a normal world there would be every single Me Too. Anti-Trumper. Anti-Trumper would be out in the streets and using this uh, attempted coup in Venezuela as a way to bash him, as they have done for the past two years. But no, nope. why not? They're taking the cue from the media to support Trump. Others. Right. So the whole NPC, the including non- Bernie non-play- Sanders, the non-playable character thing is actually true. Then for a lot of these lefty types, yeah. they get what they, they they take their orders from the media, from CNN, basically, and the likes of CNN. If CNN supports the coup in Venezuela, then they, at the very least, are just mute about it. When it's a perfect opportunity for them to to attack Trump. And CNN has been attacking Trump for two years, endlessly, and in every possible way. Why aren't they screaming bloody murder about Venezuela? Perfect opportunity to attack Trump, no? It's, it's, but it's that ideal. just points to the, the truth of what we're saying: is that the media and the deep state in the U.S. have an agenda, and in this case in Venezuela, uh, Trump's agenda and their agenda coincide, so they're fine. Yeah, and, they're li- and they, it literally just the system literally does the thinking for about a third of people. That that's what's that's the most eye-opening thing about it. These right. people, you said it like it's like they take orders, hmm. but even that sounds to a military person takes an order, receives it, and then acts it out. These people just, just say it. it. The thought is downloaded, and it's just an immediate process. Um, and one of their leaders, um, the socialist, in quotes, Senator Sanders today, tweets, the people of Venezuela are enduring a serious humanitarian crisis. The Maduro government must put the needs, blah, blah, blah. He's basically, yeah, go with the coup. 
Who's who's that? Bernie. Bernie. That's yeah. the that's the far left socialist who the deep state in quotes rigged the Democratic primary to prevent happening so that Hillary would be doing it. Hence, that's the reason actually why Trump won. Uh, let's go with that. Let's assume Americans would have voted for Sanders over Trump, or could have. Yep. Well, he's there. He's with Trump on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I think in. For the same reason that um, it's so transparently obvious to us what's going on here with trying to regime change Venezuela, it's the same reason, weirdly, that it's not at all obvious to a lot of people in the West in general and especially in the United States. Um, okay, so and this isn't to defend Trump, but he's just signing the plan in motion but really it's just the next step in a plan that goes back obviously probably to the George Bush years mm-hmm. um, certainly to the Obama years I mean plan regime change mm-hmm. operation regime change in Venezuela predates Trump right yeah. although, although he did come in swinging at it immediately when he was elected that place is evil because mm-hmm. of socialists mm-hmm. he's definitely culpable <clears throat> for helping facilitate the plan so we can't absolve him of that no but it's it's years in the making, and right. I, what I was going to say was that part of the reason why it's attract it's attracting a lot of people who probably should might not otherwise be such NPCs in this situation and see through the BS <clears throat> is because of the amount of work that went into preparing the ground psychologically for this. Mm. Someone, um, a journalist called Aaron Gallagher, I think. Um, some pretty in-depth research following anti-Maduro pro-regime change Twitter accounts and found a huge, it's basically a huge botnet operation. The very thing that Russia was accused of doing to subvert the U.S. elections, but in fact was just a tiny clickbait farm Mm -hmm. run out of St. Petersburg. had nothing to do with the elections whatsoever, really. Um, She found an actual botnet-type Twitter operation being run out of Miami. Mm. And it's five or six years old. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of fake accounts, but, but which drew in it, it garnered enough of a thing going to draw in a lot of followers and actual people who were then becoming activated on its behalf. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is this kind of they did spend some time, some years, creating a cloud of confusion around Venezuela. Mm. I think that's partly that would partly explain why there's such a lag between the death of Chavez. And the opportune moment to strike, which was now, it's been five years. Mm. And that was because, in part, they, at some level, the system realized it didn't have enough of attraction for people to have doubts, at least doubts. And this, I think, part of the magic of, of creating reality as you, as you want it to be. Um, John Bolton actually said as much a month ago. We're trying to create the reality. I'm paraphrasing now, but the one that we hope that Venezuelan people will will accept, mm-hmm. um, create enough confusion in in the target country, but also in your own host country, and then globally as well, such that people are like, "Well, yeah, he he does seem like a bit of a dictator," and I mean, the economy is doing really bad, mm. and yeah, millions of people are leaving the country, so. You know, I, 
and this one, I think I'll just take a back seat, which is exactly actually what a lot of um, people who've been totally on ball with so many issues in recent years, um, <clears throat> calling out the lies about Russiagate, <clears throat> uh, the, calling out the anti-Trumpers and so on. From a lot of these people in the alternative media, there's been crickets the last month. They have nothing to say about Venezuela. I, but at least it's that. That's a bit more honest. They're not on the bandwagon with mm. it. I think because they're like confused. Well, what is this? I know I hate socialism. Hmm. Um, and he's a socialist. Yeah, but who's saying it's a socialist dictator? It's the very same people who hate Trump. Hmm. And they're either, they're taking a backseat or they're confused because there is a lot of BS to work through. And it's about five years in the making. Um, it's a very complex operation. But it's not so grand a conspiracy. It's more, it's more, it comes together naturally when you consider like the way these things happen. Mm -hmm. It's hybrid warfare. It's the very thing Russia is accused of doing. It's information, it's financial. Mm -hmm. And it's also, there's nitty gritty to do. They have to create, they have to get the Colombian government on board to mm -hmm. basically create a Colombian government agency, something Migración, the Spanish for mm -hmm. Migration, that had all the, the apparatus in place along the border to attract and then welcome mm -hmm. and then give aid to Venezuelans who want to come over. That was part of an operation of beaming BS into Venezuela to convince them that their country was Mm -hmm. really, really, really bad, and, and they were doomed, it was going to fall. Mm -hmm. So they had all these things in place. And it is true that about a million people have left Venezuela in recent years. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting in the reports about it, if you go do a search on how many Venezuelans, you will get anything from one to five or six million people mm -hmm. already left as mm -hmm. a fact. I found two conflicting UN reports that has a difference of a factor of about 1.5 million people. Mm -hmm. It's It's part of a it's partly true that a lot of people have left, but there's this huge cloud of BS that's floating around, and they, they got some UN people on board with it. They got neighboring countries on board with it. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's quite an operation. And actually, the, the guys at um, uh, Blumenthal, I think working with Mint Press News, they had a couple of reports out this week. They've been doing some research on the connections between NGOs, Twitter campaigns, um, and efforts to tweak Venezuela's neighbors' migration policies to be unusually welcoming and and and, and giving incentives to mm -hmm. Venezuelans to come on, come on over mm. over these last several years. In fact, um, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen so people can, can see it and search for themselves. Um, it's the one by Mint Press News. You have the, that's it, Scott. Thanks, um, and. One of the chief people they have at the center of it is Pierre Omidar. Mm. The guy now who he, was up to his neck in Ukraine. You wrote about him and his funding of NGOs in Ukraine. And he, he's, he's central to this. And it goes back years. This is the, obviously, he's former eBay billionaire or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's complex, and yet it all comes together naturally. He funds alternative media. He funds actual media networks. Um Twitter campaigns, he and he gets it gets the right people a bit like the way the British have their integrity initiative in Europe. Mm -hmm. They influence the <clears throat> neighboring countries to get the right people in to create like a welcome Venezuelan refugees agency dedicated mm -hmm. to exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then there's the more hardcore stuff, of course. He probably, you probably leave him there. He's soft coup stuff. And then you get into CIA territory where the humanitarian aid shipments are packed with weapons and stuff. And the Venezuelans have been stopping <clears throat> shipments of weapons from Miami <clears throat> coming in in recent weeks. Um, in Puerto Rico, yeah. It, so it, it's, it's, I see, I see why both sides, I see why, that's what I'm, it's why it's so transparently obvious to most people and yet why it's also confusing. But that's that's the this is the complexity of it these days. It, well, you, you look at you look at that guy Pierre Omidara uh, as a businessman, a billionaire businessman, and you look at people like R R Richard Branson uh, of right. uh, Virgin Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Airlines, and on, on all the other stuff who organised there a few days ago uh, a live aid, effectively harking back to the kind of uh, back back in the eighties, the kind of um, pop or music festival uh, designed to help. Uh, starring people in Africa and Ethiopia, it, it was called Venezuela Live, I think, or something like that. And yeah. it was a concert held in 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 Colombia uh, just two days ago over the weekend, I think Friday night or Saturday night. Um, what those guys? I mean, those guys aren't necessarily part of. They're part of the kind of elite establishment, I suppose, from a business point of view. But you know, those guys have to be kind of. Uh, ideologically driven they believe you know they're true believers in they think that what they're doing is good for the venezuelan people you know um and you know you could say that to some extent the politicians have convinced themselves in, in washington and the caa even members of the caa have convinced themselves as well but w once you go further along that spectrum of the regime into the murky areas of, of regime change and the people are actually overthrowing our governments and, and, and starting even starting civil wars and stuff. I mean, there's not less scope for those people to believe that they're doing the right thing by, by the people of a certain country because, you know, they're fairly sure that they're going to cause massive bloodshed. So they don't really care. But this guy like Pierre Omidar and, and Richard Branson and stuff, they're just dupes. Like, I mean, and it's amazing to see some uh, supposedly very intelligent people <clears throat> as, you know, as evidence, I suppose, by their their high-profile status in the business world and the amount of money that they made to see just how stupid they are uh, and how much they lie to themselves and how much, they, how much like, they, yeah. the, the, their scope for for their for for the, their lies to themselves you know well I, I can explain branson's interest branson cuts his teeth i mean makes his big money in the privatization of british rail mm -hmm. in the late 1980s virgin trains that's really that's where he got off to a Became, I think, pretty much became a billionaire on the back of that. So they're defending the homeland as they see it, the way things should be over there. I think it's in part motivated so that it never comes back here. Those people want business. They think that's business. the last thing. They're free market kind of <clears throat> capitalists, I suppose. Where they, they believe that uh, you know. Mm, you let the markets decide, basically. You let in business, you let businessmen come in and come up with ingenious plans for developing a country, and that's how a country is going to ultimately uh, prosper uh, by getting rid of government, get rid of, getting rid of big government. But of course, they're happy to allow governments to facilitate coups and that kind of stuff, but only to let them in to, to, to snap up and, and a kind of fire sale, snap up the, it's, it's the a state infrastructure in a, in a given country. You know, so Branson probably has some pretensions to maybe having a a, a virgin real system in in, in Venezuela or something. For, like that, for example, um, but it's it's a ruse because <clears throat> they say they're against big government. But what that happens is that you end up getting a confluence of interests that is privately run government, right? Corporatocracy or 
corp gov, as right. I like to call it. Where all of they their profits. are the government. Oh, we hate big government. Right. No, you are the big they government. They want to be the government. And you run it in the shadows. Right. You're accountable to no one. You take the profits and then you piss off when the trains don't run. Right. Yeah. And they say, well, that's, that's the way the world works. And they will produce reports that are government reports about how healthy the British rail system is. Right. And you try telling that to the British people, the trains don't fucking arrive on time. Mm -hmm. But that, that, that's not healthy to them is how well a return did it get from my investors. Right. Yeah. And everything's A-OK. -okay. And then mm -hmm. they wonder why there's mass protests mm -hmm. on the streets. Yeah. So it's self-interest ultimately spun through a, a narrative that they tell to themselves, you know, they're doing it for the good of the people, etc. So, yeah, it's a human condition, I suppose. It's, it's, it's behind a lot of these problems. And then you've got the, the evil aspect of the human condition in, in the form of the CIA and different intelligences um, doing it for for more nefarious reasons, I suppose. But let's let's pull up one of them. <clears throat> um, can we get that tweet from Mr. CIA himself, Mike Pompeo? This is tweet along with the the iconic uh, optics they were going for. We, we denounce Maduro's refusal to let humanitarian assistance reach Venezuela. What kind of a sick tyrant stops food from getting to hungry people? The images of burning trucks filled with aid are sickening. I'm sickened. Or oh, the barf icon afterwards. No, he, he should have had a barf icon in there. Uh, yeah, well, that's um, the scary, pretty sad. The scary like, thing is how many people <clears throat> liked and retweeted that. But yeah. Um, but th that's now you're going from Omidar's territory into, okay, over to you now, boys, because you get to reap the emotional outpouring but, in theory. And now the, the something must be done message starts yeah. coming on. And right. now the CIA you, steps in. Well, he says the images of burning trucks filled with aid are sickening. Yeah. So you got a truck down there and you set it in fire. Yeah. Um, well, what's your point, you know? And the truck is on. that. That's not... The bridge, the, the border isn't exactly there. The yeah. perimeter, <laughs> the Venezuelans are right up at the top of the screen. That's, that's still inside Colombia. Right. So that's why they went with the ridiculous thing about tear gas being fired over right. to set it on fire. But this is, this is a, a Saddam's uh, weapons of mass destruction. It is Gaddafi bombing his own people. The images of Gaddafi bombing his own people are sickening. Uh, and the images of Assad... Uh, gassing his own people are also sickening. All of these things sicken me. Uh, and As they the fact, should sicken you. And the fact, well, the fact is, but the person saying that that's sickening had a major hand in creating that image well, no, uh, he himself. Created, yeah, uh, they basically, he's basically part of the people who right. actually created it. It's, it's, um, it's a total setup. Well, there's also the aspect on, in terms of Venezuela and creating this situation, creating, I mean, back in... Um, Back in 1973, when the U.S. was behind the coup in Chile, and the U.S. actually, if, if the U.S. is able to carry off this coup in Venezuela, it would be the 68th official coup uh, around the world that the U.S. US has uh, perpetrated. No, in, just in, in Latin America, I think. No, not 68 in Latin America, I don't think, is it? I think because it's over and over again going back. Well, anyway, the number was 68. It'll be 68... 68 times that they've done this and um, it's um, yeah, the process of, of creating that like in, back in 1973 in Chile when John Bolton's predecessor effectively the same kind of character as John Bolton Henry Kissinger at the time um, talked about making the, the, the process of creating the coup in Chile yeah. was to make, uh, make the Chilean economy, economy scream, scream. 
Uh, and obviously that's kind of what they've been, that's the process has been following in Venezuela as well through all sorts of sanctions for, for quite a long time now, sanctions against Venezuela. For example, there's a, there's a situation right now where India, there are sanctions against anybody that the US has just recently imposed uh, against anybody buying Venezuelan oil. While the US itself buys Venezuelan oil, nobody else is allowed to, bu allowed to buy Venezuelan oil. And India, for example, is being forced because of sanctions uh, on purchasing oil from Venezuela and Iran, India is being forced to buy oil from America. <laughs> that's uh, that's one net benefit right there, you know, where you actually create, I mean, it's like, I, it's like a mafia boss where basically... I wonder you, you, if you, that oil has actually come from Venezuela. Because it may well be. Since in the last month, remember we saw that yesterday? Yeah. U.S. purchases of Venezuelan oil is right. up five-fold. Right. Yeah. So we're buying <laughs> so it. So they're taking it out. <clears throat> oh, but this is sanctioned, so you get it from us. Right. Any better price, right. higher price. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's a mafia operation, really, where you're just uh, shutting down your opposition and forcing people to buy from you instead of buy from them. The thing is, there is a culture in the <clears throat> United States where they, they, they literally see it as theirs. A Monroe, Monroe Doctrine, you mm -hmm. know, it's Latin America. This is our resource our to do with as we... So, God damn it, these socialists. No, it's ours. Mm -hmm. um, and that's then, why in the olden times, like in those earlier coups in the 20th century, they were always framed in the context of we must intervene to kick out that socialist dictator because he's getting his orders from Moscow. Mm -hmm. Moscow's encroaching on our our territory. Right, we'll speak. And they can't do that so much now because there isn't the same... So they're having to go with this well, humanitarian they stuff haven't to the said it. They haven't said it, but speaking of Moscow encroaching on our territory, uh, there's a link, uh, there's an article there from 2017 um, from the BBC, no less, um, from 18th of December 2017, there it is, uh, Russia's Rosneft wins gas licenses in Venezuela. Uh, that's like, well, that's just a little over a year ago. Um, Venezuela awarded license to Russian energy giant Rosneft to develop two offshore gas fields uh, in the Caribbean Sea for the next 30 years. Um, so that's just one example, and there have been other deals struck by Russia. I mean, Russia and Venezuela have a fairly long uh, uh, history of being, you know, supporting each other, primarily Russia supporting, well, supporting each other, but Russia supporting uh, Venezuela, and there have been other deals that have been struck in terms of different kinds of minerals, uh, mineral extraction in, in Venezuela. Now, this would be something that would be a major red flag for the... Uh, right. For the geopoliticians in uh, in the in Washington basically that they're also see Russia purchasing of Russian military equipment as right. well uh, yeah the Chinese are invested pretty heavily too so well, they haven't been saying it publicly <clears throat> there is <clears throat> behind this Venezuela coup attempt there is a major aspect of geopolitics Russia interfering in our backyard yeah um, and it's ultimately then like everything that happens more or less and everything made every major event that happens in the, in the world stage these days, and certainly for quite a long time, actually, ultimately resolves to the kind of great game, uh, yeah. a global game between, for, for, you know, that America is in, involved in, in, in an effort to remain uh, top of the heap or to maintain its, its global hegemony as it sees it, that has been progressively being chipped away at by uh, primarily Russia and, and China. You so know, they're pushing back against that. In the last month, Bolton also told Nicaragua and Cuba, we're coming after you too. Mm. I wonder about Nicaragua because there you have 
of course the the government that they they created such bloodshed over in the 1980s to prevent from happening well reality eventually said no you lose they have the very sandinista governments that always massively watered down since then in nicaragua right now that government made well they announced that they had made a deal with the chinese it has since gone quiet so it's probably not in the works but it was announced and i think the announcement was interesting itself that china would build an alternative canal to the isthmus connecting the pacific ocean and the gulf of mexico mm -hmm. it's viable it's definitely viable because in nicaragua there's like half of that distance would be covered by a huge lake and so the excavation for a canal would not take much engineering wise to do it the chinese have the money can you imagine if that was ever threatening to come to fruition. Basically, a Chinese-controlled, in quotes, equivalent to the way the U.S. has leverage over Panama. This would be where? In Nicaragua? Nicaragua. <clears throat> yeah. And that would be basically curtains for U.S. dominance of the Gulf. So I wonder if that's also not in the back of their minds. Yeah. Um, lock this down now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, as this is all going on, Inadvertently, I suspect, I don't think anyone triggered this, Haiti blows up a few days after Trump declares that a um, random guy named Guaido is the president. In Venezuela. Uh, in Venezuela, <clears throat> Haiti blows up. Mass protests. Um, I think something like 12 people have been killed. The security force just going nuts there. Although there was a report that unknown gunmen have been shooting at protesters. The protesters, by the way, have been waving Russian flags mm -hmm. and calling for Russia to come intervene in Haiti. This is like, is that propaganda at work? Obviously, the Americans would see it that way. But think about it. This is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Are they educated enough, informed enough, have enough access to social media? Well, apparently, they do have some access to Internet to be able to go down this situation get the Russians in here mm -hmm. because they hold them up to be at a good exemplar of, of, yeah. of what a major power can do to help mm -hmm. in an actual help as opposed to American help and aid and assistance. Mm -hmm. That's just weird that how that blows up um, right there. And then they're, they're protest they want the government out. It's basically what the U.S. says is happening in Venezuela is actually happening in Haiti. Um, mm -hmm. It's the reverse. Um, and then, this is an example of the times, I suppose, whereas before it would have been a footnote in the history books that some researcher pulled out many decades later, within days of these protests erupting mm -hmm. in Haiti. Um, did we pull up an article on this? I have something. Do we have something? I think I gave sent you something, Scotty, from the Miami Herald. Um, uh, nope. We didn't. Never mind. Check it out. There was a report from Haiti, picked up by the Miami Herald, so it's not denied by anyone, that they arrested snipers shooting at protesters in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince. They were arrested, filmed by someone from outside the station, filmed in the police station. They're all big, burly, mostly white, American-looking, let's say, um, gunmen. They were arrested and deported. They were also filmed by people in the airport chanting at them to get out of our country, basically. 
mm-hmm. on their way to the plane. Someone on the plane also took out a phone and filmed these guys on the plane. So the 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 old tactics, you can try them like you used to. Okay, situation is hot. Send in the snipers, shoot both sides. But people see it happening. It's like people see it happening in real time and they probably anticipate it happening as well because everyone knows that this goes on now. This is why it's, it's so much it's so much harder for the U.S. to get away with this. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's not denied. The Miami Herald reported the facts as Haitian media reported it. They're brought back to the U.S. and the only place where we don't have any video evidence of... of of who they are or what happened to them since is in the United States because now they disappear and everyone agrees not to ask any questions once they're back on safe territory. Mm-hmm. So um, that's almost certainly a... In fact, um, one of the guys did give a quote maybe to um, the Miami Herald reporter in which he said that they were there at the behest of a private company, he wouldn't name it, of course, a private American company, presumably, to... Federal sources told the Miami Herald that the men will not be charged criminally, but are being debriefed. They told U.S. authorities that they were on the island providing private security for a, quote, businessman doing work for the Haitian government. Five of them were U.S. citizens of a group of about 12, I think. So that's, that's just incredible. You know, the situation flares up, and within days you've got the snipers, and within hours, I think, of that happening, you've got the uncovering of it, the unveiling mm-hmm. of it. They, they, they're not going to get away with the secrecy of it. And five years ago in Ukraine, um, it took a while, a few days at least, where people weren't sure what the hell was happening. It was successful enough that it caused the coup. Yanukovych fled because he was being accused of ordering the police to shoot at protesters. Um Ukrainian people were outraged that people had been, protesters had been shot and killed. Um, Then there was a leak from the, I think it was the Estonian, some Estonian envoy had been speaking on the phone to then foreign minister Minister for Europe, Ashcroft. Russians, I presume, leaked that phone conversation in which they are heard expressing um, yeah, we don't know who these gunmen were, which mm-hmm. completely contravened the media story that it was Yanukovych firing on the protesters. Mm-hmm. And but after that, well, it takes a, it takes you know some quiet media reports, um, a documentary by Oliver Stone, and then later it was only last year that we finally found out who they were. They were Georgian mercenaries um, hired to come in. Mm-hmm. and do that. So mm-hmm. the whole thing did come out. Everyone kind of knew it at the time, but they still had success in making the coup happen. Mm-hmm. And then it took five years for it to really be known. Here it's taken five freaking days. It's gone. Like You can't do that again pretty mm-hmm. much after that. And that, that speaks to the whole futility of the regime changes. What will we do? We'll, do, well, well, we'll just dust off the old playbook and do it again. What do they do? They hire Elliot freaking Abrams who everyone has spent the last month digging up the dirt on <clears throat> which isn't hard to do because he's all over Wikipedia he was in Congress t- basically admitting that yes he was doing things like sending humanitarian aid convoys into Nicaragua with uh, boatloads of weapons stored in the back everyone everyone knew that was going to happen the Venezuelan government shut down the board- borders 
some of them anyway, border access points to Colombia a week ago in anticipation of this. They knew what was going to happen. The Russian government announced 24 hours before yesterday's border skirmish. We should probably get this one up, actually. Um, this is an RT report um, on from 22nd. U.S.-run border provocation. This is it, yeah. They published that 36 hours before it happened. Scroll down there. Um, the Russian government, through their foreign ministry spokeswoman, Zakharova, <clears throat> said what was about to happen. Humanitarian aid was going to come. They would provoke a situation in which there would be clashes on the border. And, of course, well, the Russians then warned that that could provide the um, opening for more hardcore action to come in and unseat Maduro. But they gave more specific details. Um, towards the end there, separately, the U.S. is preparing a sizable weapons shipment for the Venezuelan opposition. <laughs> the armaments, comma, likely to be purchased in an Eastern European country are large caliber machine guns, grenade launchers, assault rifles, and manned portable anti-aircraft rocket systems. Zakharova specifically said the cargo is set to arrive in Venezuela in early March through a neighboring country on aircraft flown by an international shipping company. She can't know all these details. You can't speculate that. She's saying we know exactly how because we can see it in real time. So we can tell you a week or two weeks ahead of time. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? Yeah. This is the important thing. The element of surprise is key in a brutal type, send the army in coup, mm -hmm. and even today in a hybrid type, use a bit of everything coup. Mm -hmm. you, you, the surprise is key. The population has to be caught unawares. Mm -hmm. But when governments can say this, and really it's, that's not news to people, when the people in the country are aware that these kinds of things happen, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Venezuela, they're going to need some kind of a major, uh, a major outbreak of violence they per perpetrated by, you know, agents of the U.S. or agents of of of, of the of the opposition slash the U.S. Um, they're going to have to try, and the only way they can they could achieve what they want to achieve, I think, is is by igniting some kind of a civil war, getting a large number of people uh, in into Venezuela with weapons and to start shooting and killing people. Yeah. That's the only way it can happen at this point. Um, Which would be like a rerun of Syria. Yeah, pretty much. Like, to flood the country to some extent with, with mercenaries, with, with hired guns, basically, who want to wage a war against uh, the, the Venezuelan military. Yeah. Um, but that would take a lot of logistics. Like I fear that they have the human resources to do it because... That, that roughly third of Venezuelans who are predominantly from the middle, they upper. don't really have a middle, but middle, upper, white, pro, I mean, they would wave the American flag. They're ideologically, mm. you know, ripe for that. Um, I, fear, they, I fear they have the numbers to, to cause some serious... Maybe. Um, Not, I don't think people within the country, though, necessarily, those people are too... Uh, too, too uh, too well fed and well bred, let's say, to to 
take up weapons and do it. They need to get some kind of a mercenary army, like you were saying. Uh, they got to be used in Syria to do it. The foreign, foreign forces, you know. And it would have to come through Colombia. The Colombian government is up to its neck in this. Mm -hmm. um, Maduro broke off diplomatic relations with Colombia yesterday. Uh, told diplomatic staff to clear out. We'll see if that's what he said to the U.S. as well a month ago. With any kind of back down a bit. Um, interestingly, the the Lima group. Remember that. Um, mm -hmm. that was this part of the hybrid thing and years of preparation. It was, took several years ago they created this group, Lima Group. Forget the name Lima. That's obviously a reference to Peru. It was born in Canada, mm -hmm. and what it is is essentially they set up because the Organization of American States, the OAS, wasn't getting them the votes they needed at their interregional meetings. Mm -hmm. They created a parallel structure and as many countries as possible. And then they said, oh, we just passed a vote. Maduro's a dictator and we're going in. Mm. This is exactly what they accuse Maduro of doing, of setting up an alternative parliament. Oh, right. no, no, you can't do that. That's against constitutional and democratic norms. It's precisely what they've been doing. Um, they're due to meet in Bogota, Colombia tomorrow, mm -hmm. where apparently a random guy named Guaido is to meet Pence. Mm -hmm. You know, the horrifying thing about this, I think for me, is the horrifying thing is that the U.S. can't back down. Mm. They, there's no way out of, how do you come back from this without going the whole hog? Mm. Um, last week we saw probably another horrible indicator of what's to come. Basically, someone blew up a pipeline in Venezuela. Mm. Um uh, the 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 next possible out for Venezuelans, whether or not this escalates in the coming months, is at the twenty twenty elections in the U.S. But even then, that's so what? So someone not Trump comes in, that would need to be someone not Trump and someone who would nix the CIA's plan Venezuela. Mm -hmm. So that's extremely unlikely. The only other things I can think of is a physical deterrent imposed by Russia slash China slash allies like mm -hmm. Iran or whoever. Um, that has only happened once in history, in modern history, which is Crimea five years ago, mm -hmm. when the Russia physically put its foot down and said, uh-uh, you're not taking that. Um, and that's because the situation was critical for Russia. Is Russia going to... We know they sent bombers as a signal in December, no, but are they so. going to do anything more than that? They're, they're, the Russian government is confident that the that Venezuela that, can hold out, right? That they can maintain stability. Basically, that's what they've said anyway. So we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I just want to move on to just briefly before we wrap up uh, the um, yellow vests and a few something that's happened around the Yellow Vest protests. As people who've been listening and watching the show know, uh, Yellow Vest protests in France are just a popular... Uh, it's a popular protest movement that's been going on for 15 weeks, 15 consecutive weeks, and now mostly on the weekends, on Saturdays, with mass demonstrations and a bit of rioting, lots of tear gas, a lot of people being injured, some people being killed uh, in France. Um, initially, the... Initially, the... The government, the French government, you know, half-heartedly attempted to appease them by giving them basically nothing, pretend, dressed up as something. The people rejected that and said, stick it, and they kept protesting. Um, so then the Macron government, obviously not interested in actually uh, 
you know, uh, giving anything to the people or giving up any of its power or the the, the or, or doing away with or, or stopping any of the corruption that that the protesters are, are complaining about, uh, initially decided to, or then decided to defame them basically defame the protesters in the media which is you know propaganda war is is a big part of any any war and there's a war between the macron government and and a lot of the french people so the macron government has initially decided to call them basically uh, far-right extremists nazi types in there uh, then when that was just laughed off then they said that they're obviously the next one would, would have been uh, that the Russian agents, they tried the Russian agents, Russia is somehow influencing these protests. That was laughed off even, even louder. <clears throat> and then most recently, uh, they've brought out the big guns of saying that um, that they're anti-Semites, that the, the Yellow Vest protest movement has been taken over by anti-Semites. There's anti-Semites behind every single Yellow Vest. There's an actual article from The Guardian here, which is, you know, The Guardian, you'd think, being a historically leftist UK newspaper, would be behind this kind of a popular um, protest against corruption uh, in government and, and for, for civil rights and that kind of thing. But Or at least reasonably <clears throat> neutral. Yeah, but The Guardian, uh, just a couple of days ago, France has an anti-Semitism problem, and not just from the, the Gilets Jaunes. So they've gone... <laughs> They've, you know, they they don't they don't just say the Gilets Jaunes are a bun- bunch of anti-Semites. They they say well, France itself has a problem with uh, anti-Semitism going back a long time. So this article that I'm referring to here just uh, well, it's just complete and utter horseshit. Like I mean, as as the anti-Semitic trope that is used so often and has been used so often in many different areas, particularly in the West, uh, is it's just complete nonsense. You know, I mean, even in this article, I mean, this this person who wrote it. Even said that uh, you know refers to you know slogans on hateful slogans on banners and anti-Semitic graffiti sprayed on walls, um, and the groups groups of gilets jaunes shouting abuse and making the canal gesture, and in quotes that's explained as an inverted Nazi salute, which is what the French <laughs> government wants everyone to think it is. But it's ridiculous that a, a, a supposed journalist would not even have done. A, me, you know, a cursory amount of investigation to realize that the canal is not an inverted Nazi salute. It's ridiculous. Somebody decided to call it that. Somebody in government decided to call it that. It's Manuel Valls did. Yeah. And and out of whole cloth, it has nothing to do with uh, Nazism at all. It's canal is actually a freaking, it's a savory, it's like a stuffed bread pastry kind of pudding type thing, you know, and, and it's about some of them are the length of your arm, basically, and it's you know it's a rude gesture to say up yours, basically. It's like saying it's like the opposite. It's like up yours, yeah. right? Uh, but that's been turned into it's a Nazi salute. So anybody making that salute now is an anti-Semite. Except when the person doing it is saying to the government, "Screw the government, screw the corrupt, whatever." Uh, but now they're Nazis and anti-Semites. Um, anyway, so that whole succession Macron, of events last week was yeah, it was ridiculous. Crazy. Macron decided to, he, he doubled down. Not only you know are the other gilets jaunes now all all discredited as anti-Semites, but uh, Macron is toying with passing a new law that will criminalize, will make uh, increase or expand the definition of of anti-Semitism to include any criticism of Israel. Yeah, and what anti-Zionism? And, and uh, uh, yeah, anti-Zionism. What isn't, is uh, isn't it a bizarre? What's his agenda like? I know it's so weird. Like. Maybe this will help us. The day before he went to speak at the CRIF, C-O-R-I-F, which is basically a com- like Fran- France's APAC. Lobby, yeah. 
um, he was scheduled to speak there. The day before, the head of the CRIF had a big spread interview in Le Mans in which he called for drastic measures to end the demonstrations. Right. Drastic measures. This is a drastic measure. Early next morning... Call them anti-Semites. Early next morning, <laughs> someone does goes to a Jewish cemetery in Strasbourg. Someone. Sprays swastikas all over it. Macron gets his whole team out on a train to Strasbourg. Photo ops later that morning. Isn't it terrible? Isn't it terrible? Goes back to Paris for apparently a previously unscheduled visit to the Holocaust Museum in Paris. Right. On he goes then to the CRIF and gives a speech in which he declares what the head of CRIF wanted in Le Mans the day before, drastic measures to end the demonstrations by declaring he's going to expand the definition. I mean, Why would a Jewish organization want the Yellow Vest movement to stop? What's that got to do with the Jewish organization well, protesting here's France? The Protest against. Here's the logical thing that they don't want to say, but they're, they're screaming themselves. They're saying Jews as a whole, I don't know what, support the French government. Are... The part of the establishment. Our key part, if not the establishment. Therefore, y'all in your insurrection upwards are anti-us who are up here looking down on you. Therefore, we see what you're doing, all of you, 60 million French people, you're being anti-Semitic. Right. That, that's what they, they're saying between the lines. Yes, the conspiracy theory of the last 150 years is true. The Jews rule over you, ergo, your insurrection. Mm-hmm. Is anti us. I mean, that's not even actually technically correct. It, there is evidence for it in some respect, but it's not. It's not actually. True. But they're making the worst of the conspiracy theory true, such that imagine just see down the road what the next horrifying steps are mm. if they keep on with this and bash people. No, you're, uh, you're, you're being against government policy on X means you're being anti-Semitic. You're going to condition people to see the Jews as the problem, right. not just a problem, as the problem that requires the solution. It's horrifying. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a total solution from government that's going to create a total reaction, and we know what happened in history with that mm -hmm. in Western Europe. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's a horrible trap to walk Jews into. Yeah. Well, they're doing exactly the same thing and it's a horrible, horrible trap for Jews to walk themselves into because the vast majority of them are, are supportive of at least their public figures and stuff. Absolutely. You know? I mean, and they, there exactly are yellow vesters wearing the... They're making a point of wearing the... The kippah. What do they call the kippah and donning the yellow vest. I mean, they, it's such a... They're doing exactly the same thing and have been for several years with Jeremy Corbyn. Well, this is the at the same time. That's coming to a head at the sort of... Big time at the same time. Accusing Last him week. of being anti-Semitic and his and the Liberal Party under him being, of rampant anti-Semitism in the Liberal Party, which is complete and utter nonsense, even by stats produced by Jewish organisations in the UK themselves, that anti-Semitism is far less than it was under the previous Liberal Party leader. Uh, but the media just repeats this over and over again, like like we saw in the in the Guardian. There, it's it's bizarre. I don't understand. It's, it blows my mind how this it's a trope, you know, of anti-Semitism can has been just used and abused over and over again for so long, you know, and it keeps going. It's, it's not diminishing. It's, I mean, anytime you want to demonize a group or let's say the Jewish lobby in, 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 in any country wants to demonize a group, they simply accuse them of being anti-Semitic. 
it's like you know it's almost like calling someone a paedophile you know once once the the claim is made then it sticks you know you're the worst possible human being in the world it's ridiculous yeah. it's like just call, it's just I don't understand it really I mean I don't understand the, the utility of it but why they would do it you know why they would go there and like like you said provoke that kind of reaction because people really don't like being accused of something that they, you know of being accused of being the most despicable human being when yeah. that when they're not at all yeah. when they're what when what they're actually demanding what the yellow vests are protesting about are are decent you know reasonable uh, uh, they're they're protesting for honorable values let's say and to be responded to by saying you're a despicable human being and here's a label to go along with that is just like and then to be threatened with legal consequences yeah. um prison terms for right. for being a yellow vester comma anti-semite the two will be used synonymously or in you know juxtaposed as as the needs demand mm -hmm. because it's already illegal in france to do the canal which was a hum mm -hmm. humorous gesture it was a way of slacking off the government or other elite figures media right. figures they made that illegal when you're starting to ban humor yeah like the way they want to ban memes and all this stuff Right, it's just a downward slope. This is this is pythocracy one hundred and one. Well, that's right? because humor is, as tra is traditionally a way to convey truths. You know, it's funny because it's true, and when you outlaw, you're effectively outlawing the expression, popular expression of a truth. Well, then I mean, you're on the, you're already in a totalitarian, uh, yeah, scenario. You know, where you're outlawing the spoken truth, basically. Um. Yeah, but I, it's just, it can only get worse from here. It, the, the overall state of affairs here seems to be uh, an entrenched Western kind of high-level elite. And I'm not just talking about people like Macron and government puppet figures, but people behind them who over the past, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years have really consolidated their power and their corruption and they're, they're, they're wielding it uh, to the full extent and they're in no mood to... Uh, to let any of it go, to release uh, even a, a tiny amount. And as people, as they consolidate uh, uh, themselves in their power and corruption, and as they exercise it more and more, they're going to get more and more people uh, protesting and, and speaking out against them, which will, of course, cause them to crack down even further. I mean, really, I mean, it's yeah. nobody should, should be surprised with that within a, a, a few years or a small number of years. Uh, that we end up in, in a kind of a dystopian totalitarian nightmare scenario in not maybe across the board but certainly um, in, in, in pockets and areas flaring up uh, in different places at an increasing an increasing rate you know because that's the way it's going that's the way the winds are blowing right now if you look objectively at what's happening that's what's happening you know you have this group of people in power who are doubling down on their power and their corruption. And yeah. it's, they're so blind that they can't see that they're, just yielding a bit would be in their self-interest. Right. No. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Pathology, it's called. Anyway, um, I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. We, th um, I think we covered the major topics. There's a lot more going on, I suppose, but I think those are the two major things that are at least are in the news, uh, have been in the news over the past week or two. Um We'll keep watching and uh, we'll be back with another show next week. If you like this video, please subscribe and click the notification icon and like and all that good stuff. Um, so until next week uh, or until next time, um, have a good day. See you soon. Bye, everyone.